Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 54, Jack of All Trades, Master of None. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and want to support us, there are a couple ways you can do that. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or the platform that you're listening to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only have a couple of tiers right now, but the $3 tier does give you a shout out at the end of the show, as well as we will share your link in the show notes. So check that out. That's at uh, patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And probably the most important one is to make sure you get the uh, get the show out there. Share it with your friends. Talk to your friends about it. Maybe uh, get them to join our Discord and uh, join our community of developers. That's really, really developing, actually. Um, the, the community is developing, and they are developing as well. <laughs> Bad pun. Uh, but it, it's going ham. we got tons of members in there. Everyone's helping each other out with different uh, web projects, and everyone's at a different stage. Some are pros, some are new, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So come check it out. And... Hang out, I guess. But we're gonna keep we're gonna keep on keeping on with uh, the weekly pain point. So, Mike, take it away. All right, that was a good uh, shameless self plug saga there, Matt. Thank you very much. Good, good <laughs> stuff. Uh, that, now, right. now we got to slip it under the rug by not mentioning it. You know, like at the beginning, remember we used to do like a thing where we would argue about. Yeah, yeah. Was, you like, you didn't self-plug. like the fact that you had to do it, and I was forcing you to do it, and you called it the shameless. Like it, but... Yeah. <laughs> But you're still doing it, so I appreciate it. That's good. Uh, So, okay. So, my weekly pain point for this week is internationalization. Uh, It is a necessary thing for a lot of different sites, I would say. So, when you're doing a site and it's for a larger company, whether it's in Canada or the States uh, or other countries, of course, you might have to do it in a native language and then a secondary language for us in Canada. That would be English and French. In the States, it's usually English and Spanish. Uh, but essentially, it's it, it's a good skill to have to be able to take a site and think about it not only in one language, but uh, have it have a mindset of okay, this might need to be internationalized at some point. How am I going to do that? Uh, that's kind of what I've been battling this last couple weeks. I, I again, I have some experience with it. So when I was building my my sites for my clients, I have the forethought to put in a couple of little things, but then when you actually go in to actually implement the internationalization, uh, that's a whole other topic. And I, we might actually do an episode on it. I was thinking about doing that this week, but it's something you have to work out a little bit more. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Let us know if you want to hear something about internationalization in more detail. It's definitely a big topic. I just don't know how interesting it is for everyone else. What about you, Matt? So this week, I have been really diving into Adobe XD and more specifically been diving into making the prototypes slash the mock-ups of the HTML, all the things redesign. So it's uh, those basically those <clears throat> as my voice cracks and I like n- I'm no longer past puberty. But anyway, <clears throat> as I die again, right, <laughs> right when I have to talk, that, my weekly pain point is having a sore throat. Um, <laughs> but anyway... My uh, so anyway, so my actual week, weekly pain point is the fact that I'm trying to make these things in Adobe XD, uh, the mockups and that type of thing of the new HTML all the things website. And unfortunately, there's a couple of weird quirks in my opinion of in Adobe XD that other people have found to be really annoying. So I was searching everywhere for a crop function and I wasn't able to crop an image. You have to mask it with an object, and people are saying like, "Hey, you can crop in other programs that are similar. Like, what's going on here?" And they're saying, "No, no, no, you can do it with like." it's there's no destruction like you're not 
damaging the image at all if you just do a mask, I guess, is what is basically what they're trying to get at. So you're not actually like ripping the information out of the image when you because when you're cropping, you're cutting that stuff out. So they like the designers of Adobe XD, I guess, and the developers prefer masking, which is a little bit strange. But anyway, I got over that. I got that to work and I got pretty quick with it. And then there was a couple other weird things like I can't get things to line up properly. And like that sounds weird, but. Like I'm using the controls in the bot in the top right, and there's a couple of times where so hypothetically I have a blue, let's say I have a blue square, and the blue square is 250 height, and then I have another square that's white, and I want it to cut off half of that blue square, so I like put it on top of it, no problem, right? The layers are all fine, and then I make that blue square 250 height. I will see that, or I make the white square, excuse me, 250 height. I will see a small line about I'd, I'd say a pixel, maybe half a pixel, something like that of that blue on the bottom or the top or the sides sometimes, depending on the positioning of the white square. And it's like, what is going on here? Like, why is this happening? And I thought it was borders. It wasn't borders. So I don't know what's going on. And then I looked it up and I looked, I don't know whether I'm, I'm kind of new to Adobe XD. Uh, so I don't have like all the terminology down, but the, the one article I found that was related was people saying that things weren't aligning properly because they're snapping to different grids. And so if you're out there and you know what's happening and you know why it's not working, because even though I say like a line on the left, like with that button, it, it aligns to the left, but there's still that like weird overlay overhang. I don't know what the heck's going on. So I don't know whether that's a glitch or what the heck, but if you know, hit me up on Twitter or discord or something, cause I don't know what the heck's going on. But anyway, um, as we all, as we always do with our episodes, we will go through our segments. So we're going to be just kind of a conversational episode this week and a, and a Mike heavy conversational episode. We need that slogan, Mike, but, uh, He'll be talking about the jack-of-all-trades, of course, and then our web news this week, our recurring segment, is going to be about customer service. There should be a couple of uh, weird, funny stories in there, as well as some interesting business information. So, Mike, take it away. So, yeah, this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, jack-of-all-trades, like that phrase in general. Uh, This actually came from a Reddit post I noticed Someone posts a Reddit post about being a jack of all trades and a master of none and how that was worrying them and bothering them and how like it seems like it's a kind of a similar experience to imposter syndrome. So I wanted to address it and I fully understand where where people are coming from when they feel like this. And I just want to point out some things about being a jack of all trades and what that phrase really means uh, and kind of um, the big thing is that what, what I want to do is I know a lot of people have a negative stigma towards that phrase. I want to point out that it did not start that way. Like that's not what Jack of all trades had meant to be would like be negative. It's actually something that's could be a very good thing. And we'll we'll go through a few different examples of where it could be helpful and stuff like that. Um, So the big thing is, is again, I want to destigmatize compare it to imposter syndrome because thinking yourself inadequate just because you don't call yourself a master of anything in particular is not the right mindset to be in. Uh, there's there's very many situations where being a jack of all trades or being well balanced will give you a much better perspective on a lot of different things. So just go with that mindset as we're going through all these things. So someone will be able to someone will always be better than you. And at, at most things that you do, there will always be someone that's better than you. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to think about. It's not necessarily going to be like, oh, you know, I, I always have to be the best. That shouldn't be how you think about it. You should be twisting it to be something that motivates you. Be like, okay, well, there's someone to strive to be. There's someone that I can learn from. There's someone that, you know, there's somewhere for me to go. If I, if I reach an epitome of some point, 
I don't know what I would do because I would think, okay, well, that's it then. I guess I'm, if I'm at the top of this mountain, then there's nowhere else to go but down. And that's not, that's not a great feeling to be honest. And I, I'm sure that if someone is a master out there, they can chime in and be like, yeah, that's probably how it feels. Like if you're, if you're at the top of a mountain, there's nowhere else to go and it's not the greatest feeling. The journey is where you want to be at at all times, in my opinion. So that's where I like, that's where this kind of comes into play. So one of the big points here is, when you're starting out as a beginner developer, uh, I think it's really important to have the mindset of, yeah, I want to be a jack of all trades. Because the if you're striving to give yourself a good base of understanding of many different topics, then you'll it'll give you an opportunity to, A, give you, uh, work on large projects of any kind. It'll later also give you an opportunity to be a project manager because you'll have a grasp not only of like... Let's say you first start out and you decide to be a backend developer and you only focus on PHP and that's it. And you become like, that's fine. You only focus on PHP and you become really, really good at PHP and all that. But when you get into thrown into a large project that has, you know, backend, front end, that has UI design, you have UX development, you have marketing, stuff like that. You have a whole thing. You have deployment, DevOps, and you only know one piece. It's really tough for you to go and interact with all the other different sides of it and understand when they're going to be done. How is your piece going to fit into all their other, all the other structures of web development? And I think it's really important when you're first starting out to not have that mindset, to have the mindset of, okay, I want to learn what web development is. What is web development? And again, like I mentioned, it's, it's everything. It's the UX of it. It's the UI. It's design. It's doing the front end business logic. It's just doing the front end, like, you know, event listener logic. It's doing database work. It's doing back end work with PHP, Node, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's doing develop, DevOps. It's doing marketing. All of this, as well as if you're a freelancer, if you're looking at that, it's a bunch of business things. So it's stuff like being good at QuickBooks. It's stuff like being good at managing money, being good at managing time, being good at managing employees. All that is something that you should strive to at least have some understanding of, to at least be able to step into it and see it from that person's perspective. That's how I like to think. Um, a big thing, one of the big things in our my university program is it was a engineering technology program. So it wasn't directly engineering that I graduated from. It was software engineering technology. And what it what it allowed you to do is, yes, you got your engineering skills, but not only that, you got the skills to be able to be the intermediary between a engineer and a like a person in the in the field, someone in the factory or someone or or an engineer and a person in a business, right? So you're you can be that person that is able to put teams together. And again, it gives you the project management management knowledge. It gives you all that. And a lot of what we were taught is to be a jack of all trades, is to not put all your eggs in one basket. And I think it really does make sense. Um, and I, I just want to bounce something off Matt. Like, do you think starting out as an open mindset, with an open mindset to learn everything is the right choice for a new developer? What's your opinion I, on it? I would say I would say yes and no, and I think I think it's more so how they approach it. And I'll explain myself there. So if you have no idea, like you've never made a website before, you have no idea how to make a website, and you don't know where to start. When you approach it from the standpoint of I'm just going to learn everything, and then you actually go and look at what everything is, view 
React, React Native, you know, the the list goes on. It goes crazy, right? There's a lot there. If you were to see all of that and then you see, you go through each of those things, quote unquote, my first app, and you go through that, and then not to mention the fact that you need to know Apache, you need to know like other hosting things, maybe you need to know a little bit of Linux for DigitalOcean, you need to know databases a bit, MySQL, maybe it's an IIS server that you need to work on for, like, you know, on the Microsoft side or whatever. Now you'll kind of start to panic. And I do get the imposter syndrome thing where, like even in our own Discord, it's it's a prime example. There's there's people in there that you'll see, and, and myself included, but a prime example is one guy in there, I'm not gonna call it names, but one guy in there will will always talk about view and a bunch of other UI development stuff and like, you know, can bang it off really, really quick. Whereas another guy in there can talk about WordPress, like, you know, all about every aspect of WordPress, but he can't talk about the view side. And that view guy can't talk about WordPress as fast. So like they can talk about it. You know, they, they know what WordPress is and the other one knows what Vue is and that type of thing, but it, they're not experts in either. And, but then they kind of have like a specialization and that's kind of a template. I think is, is what I'm trying to get at is when you're getting, when you're first joining, I agree with you that you need to be open-minded, but I think what you need to maybe do is choose a project and choose something. So whether you want to go the pure route, you know, HTML, CSS, JS, whether you want to go with Vue and then maybe some other stuff, I don't know whether you're making a website or a web app, whatever you're trying to make. But I would say to choose a tool or tools and then stick with those for a bit and try to put something or multiple things together and see how you how you learn and how you grow in it. And like maybe you don't like what you chose. Maybe you just really hate Vue for some reason. Maybe you would maybe when you did your my first app with React, you really liked it. So then you went and you just decided, I'm not using Vue anymore. I'm going to go use React.js. And and that's fine. So what I'm saying is, is yes, be open-minded. But I just don't think that, I think that for a new guy, when you say open-minded, like, could you imagine learning anything open-minded? Like, totally open-minded, I mean. Like, learning your program, even, like, your technology course. Uh, learning anything, car mechanic, like, if you take it out of the field gardening like every just learn every plant you know what i mean it's too it's too much so be open-minded i 100 percent agree but don't because you will like sink yourself like you'll try to read everything and you'll go mad in my opinion you'll just go absolutely crazy yeah absolutely and i think you brought up a, a perfect point uh and and what i want to clarify is that when i mean open-minded when i mean go for a broad spectrum of all the different technologies. I don't mean go out there and just start learning <laughs> React, view all of this all at once. What I'm talking about is instead of don't go into it thinking that you're only going to learn one technology and that's it. We'll go into it thinking, yes, I want to learn something. I want to learn web development. Go step by step. Like we, we've talked about it many times, how we would approach learning web development. And that's going over the core, you know, CSS, HTML, JavaScript, learning the very core basics. That still applies to this. But it's the, the point that I want to try to make is don't be like, okay, I'm going to go into web development. I've never done it before. I'm only going to learn JavaScript. And that's right from the beginning. I'm only going to learn JavaScript. And that's what I want to steer people away from is like, yes, you're going to learn one thing at a time and don't overwhelm yourself hundred percent. You are a billion percent correct. If you go and look at all the different technologies that web development has, 
you're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to back out. You're going to go crazy. Gonna you're legitimately yeah, going to go crazy. Yeah, you're not going to do it because every day something comes up and it's like, how am I supposed to keep up with all this? Again, we have episodes on this. You can go out, go out and listen to them, but don't don't be overwhelmed, but know that you are going to go and you're going to learn many things in your journey. You're not just going to learn one technology and that's it. That's that's what I want to get to. And I think with that in mind, you can become a really good developer. You can become a, a developer that can work on anything you want. You can be a manager. There's many different options for you. The paths open up and open up and open up. And just it just becomes a better field in general if we're all kind of doing – have that in mind. Um and with with that being said, the ne the next point here is like, like I said, this is for beginners, but there's also an element to it where it's not wrong to stay a, as a jack of all trades and not be, you know, a master of one of them, for instance, in, later on, even later on in your career, even when you're like five, six, seven years, 10 years down the line, it's not a bad thing to, to be open-minded again and like try different things as you're going through and learn different technologies and keep going like that. And it's not for everyone. I'm not saying that this is the one and only way to be a web developer for sure. No, there are plenty of people that, you know, want to master a topic and that's their thing. That's their, you know, personality style. That's their, uh, that's their learning style. And that's completely fine. It's not me. Like that's not how I do things. I don't know how, if, if that's you, Matt, but like it's just how, for me, I'm probably never going to be a master. Uh, and I, and I say master, when I say master, I say it in quotes. We'll talk about what master means in a little bit and what it can mean, what it can't mean. But uh, essentially just know that it's, it's a very open ended question. Like what is a master, right? Like who knows? But being well rounded is the focus. And when you're a well rounded developer, it's not, doesn't mean that you don't know topics. Like you, you're someone that knows Vue. You're someone that knows PHP. It just essentially means that you're not going to delve so far into it that you can, you know, recite the documentation from scratch without having inter internet connection and stuff like that. You're not going to get into that kind of complexity. But what it is giving you is it's giving you an opportunity to learn how to pick up new topics quickly and how to shift from one thing to another really quickly and learn it, pick it up, be able to use it, deploy it in production and stuff like that. Like that's what it's teaching you when, when you're open-minded and willing to go to different technologies as you're going through your web development journey. And I, I just want to bring up what the original quote was for the jack of all trades, because like I said before, it has a negative stigma now, but the original quote, um, and I don't know exactly when this was brought up, but it was a long time ago because um, a jack was referring to not a person named Jack, it was referring to a common nomenclature for a per like a man, just a generic man, essentially, not, not essentially a person named Jack, but a jack of all trades is a master of none. And then the, the additional thing that not that many people heard is, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So that's a positive connotation, right? Like, so you're, yes, you're not a master of anything, but you're oftentimes better than just one person that's focused on, you know, in, in a web development perspective, maybe he's only focused on uh, PHP and that's, that's all they know. And they're not willing to learn anything else, right? And again, there's plenty of people out there doing well that just know PHP, but when you're hiring someone, like if, if we're hiring someone, we're a small startup company, it would be tough for us to hire someone that just knows PHP. And is not, it's not only that, is not willing to learn anything else. It would be a very difficult hire. Like when you're sitting down with them, we'd ask them all the PHP questions. They would answer them perfectly, right? Like because they know it, they know PHP. But then we'd be like, 
Well, what about if you were to work in an environment where we'd have to, you know, bring in an REST API with Node and we'd have to edit that and they'd be like, no, we're not doing that because we're just going to rewrite it in PHP. At that point, you're like, well, that doesn't seem flexible. It could be can't issue, cause issues. Again, in some companies that might be okay, but for, for a small startup, especially, you're more, you're asked to do more than just one thing. So a startup environment is very much looking for jacks of all trades, not so much masters, right? They're looking for people that are willing to be open-minded, that are willing to go from one technology to the other, that are willing to learn business side things. So sometimes you'll see developers take on more business like sales roles, stuff like that, more presentation roles, all that kind of stuff is something that a startup would ask of you as you're at, like could ask of you, not would, I should say, because every startup is completely different. Everyone's roles are completely different. So one CTO might be have diff, completely different responsibilities than another because they're just it's just such a fast moving fast moving system that you can't pinpoint one thing as as anything so like having a cto on your resume is great but if when you're getting hired as a cto or you're getting hired as a, a as a regular developer we don't know what those responsibilities were from another startup that's another kind of challenge with startups but essentially it's important to be able to be open minded and flexible um, and just just because you're knowledgeable in multiple topics doesn't mean you can't adv- advise or do great work in a particular one topic as well. So like if you're knowledgeable in all the – like not all, but let's say a, a variety of different JavaScript frameworks, Vue, React, uh, Angular, you're knowledgeable in them, right? If you're knowledgeable in them and someone's like, okay, we need you to implement this Vue uh, front end for us. You'd be like, okay, well, I'll, I'll learn it. I'll be able to manage it because I've done React a little bit. I've done Angular a little bit. I've done Vue a little bit as well. I can, I can use those skills that I've gained from doing all three of those to optimize Vue as much as I possibly can. Yes, you won't know the intricate in and outs of, of Vue yet uh, as you're doing it at, at, at first, but you will know where to look for them. And you will know when something's happening and something's wrong. You'll know where to look to find it. You might not know. As soon as an error pops up in the console log, exactly what that error is. Like maybe a master would know that, right? Like maybe a master would be like, oh, you have an error there in your console. That's probably on line 32 of this file. Go to there immediately, you know, delete that line and everything's good. That might not be you in this case, but you'd definitely be able to be like, okay, there's an error there. It's happening because of my dynamic variable on this file. You go to that file. Okay, that dynamic variable is being changed by this method. Like the logic that you apply to any framework, any sort of programming language is the same across all the different programming languages with a few tweaks here and there. So that's the main core of your knowledge. Everything else is kind of like, yes, you'll have to figure it out. You're not going to be able to do it in two seconds, but you will be able to figure it out. That's how you have to treat it. That's how you have to treat yourself. So Matt, with that being said, would you rather know and be an expert at one thing really well? Like, let's say you're, you know, Adobe XD, you were just talking about that. Like you right. were the best at Adobe XD. Right. That's it. But that's all you know. Would you rather that or would you rather be a well-rounded developer that can, you know, you know, front end stuff, but you right. also know how back end works. Like that, I just want to hear your reasoning behind it. I would say that I'd, I'd- Personally, I'd rather be uh, like more well-rounded in that regard, and it kind of it kind of encompasses more than just learning and knowing the front end, it and the back end. Like you were saying, I you you more or less do a bunch of the back end stuff. I more or less do the front end stuff. But there's a lot of different frameworks and such that are in both. 
So, for example, like I know Bootstrap, but I'm not an expert in Bootstrap. I know Webflow, but I'm not an expert in Webflow. I know uh, Tailwind CSS, but I'm not an expert in Tailwind CSS. And I would say my strongest point is probably just straight up CSS. And my second strongest now would be Webflow just because we've used it so much on recent projects. And then I know a bunch of the backend stuff from, you know, hearing you talk about it as well as talking about, as well as just having being as having been a server admin in the past, that type of thing. And so what it allows me to do is, is actually the first thing comes to mind. It allows me to quote people or at least talk to them in a quote meeting where I would say, well, I know for sure we would need some sort of database to hold the information. We need, we need to, like, I know what to check into. At least I know we need to audit this area. We need to check this thing. We got to double check that thing. We got, I know there's a connection of some sort here. We have to, you know, take a look there. Whereas another guy who let's say just did Webflow and someone approaches him with a WordPress site, he wouldn't even possibly know that there's a database. He might say, where's the CMS? Like what, like what's going on since Webflow is a complete package. So I'm definitely more of a fan of being a jack of all trades. The one thing I did want to mention actually really brief before I forget on your um your statements there about like with uh, the startup hiring where like you need to be more open one of the things that i think people will probably say is like hey big i got hired as a wordpress guy because wordpress is very popular i got hired as a wordpress guy and we don't stray from wordpress that might be very true that you don't stray from wordpress so you're not learning view you're not learning a bunch of developer tools but for sure you're well, number one you're learning a bunch of plugins that are constantly changing maybe you're writing new plugins so maybe you're doing like PHP or something like that, right? So you're doing that. But in addition to that, you're also doing business stuff because you are going to have to be adaptable and saying, hey, you need to have these 50 plugins or something in your tool belt. And when a customer approaches and says, I want this functionality, you have to know, oh, I need to look for a plugin of this type or, oh, it's one of the 50 that I am aware of and we'll install that. This is the price. This is what, you know what I mean? You're doing more. You're still being flexible. You're not, you're not, you're not learning Vue and React and everything else. Everything is in WordPress, but you're still expanding a bit. And the same goes with Webflow. We've expanded Webflow functionality with just you know vanilla JS and everything else the whole this whole time. So you might your agency, your team might be pigeonholed into one platform, as many are to rapid fire sites out, no problem. But those sites are all unique in some way, for the most part. And those will require some sort of unique touch and therefore require a jack of all trades to be there. And that's another reason why, that's why I mentioned it. Another reason why I would prefer to be that because it allows me to at least talk to people and I, and, and it's totally cool for me to say, and I've said it several times, I have a WordPress, like I, I, I have a WordPress guy I work with. I have a designer I work with. I have, I have a, like a database guy I'm working with right now. Uh, I'm not hosting it this time. This guy's hosting it. I have uh, a guy I want to talk to you real quick about advertising. I have a guy like blah, 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 blah. Like, don't hesitate to say your piece. Like, hey, you know, I think it's like this and like this. And when we get into it, I'm going to go talk to Jim because Jim is really good in databases and he's my database guy. I don't know. Totally made up scenario. But a customer, when you're talking to them in that quote meeting or you're explaining a new feature or whatever... They're not going to say like, oh, you have a, you have a team member and you don't know what's going on. Get out of here. Like that's outrageous, right? Like no one's going to do that. A general, like general, I always like to bring it outside of web development as a real base to try to like bring the examples into, into perspective. A general contractor might not be a bricklayer, 
no one's going to be disgusted if he says my bricklayer will be able to tell you a more accurate quote, but I think it'll be around three grand. But let let me ask him to make sure. No one's going to be like you idiot, get out of here. You know that that sounds outrageous, and it's the same with web development. Pull on your team members, pull on your contacts, pull on you know whoever you can, or say hey, I need to learn that or whatever. Don't don't always talk yourself down and say I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, just because you think you're a jack of all trades and you have that imposter syndrome because i do i do see people do that all the time where they're like i don't know i don't know how to do that i don't know but it's like dude but you would be able to figure it out you know do you know what i'm trying to say with that with that point there where people are always like super hesitant because they don't know exactly what they need to do but they know like 96 percent of it and so they're like i don't know how to do that and then a customer starts getting wor- like worried like oh no this guy didn't know how to make the login portal or like make a login portal i don't know install wordpress uh put the slider together but it's, if, if you've done similar things before, just say you know how to do them. Do you know, yeah. what, I'm, you know what I'm trying to say with that? I think that that kind of lends itself with the imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So with, like, with that being said, when you're saying you don't know, um, a customer – like in my experience, a customer doesn't care what you know and what you don't know. They care what, can you, what, what you've done, what you do for him at that point. You don't have to tell him you don't know how to do this. You don't know how to do that. You can tell him, yes, I have a team member that can do this. I have a team member that can do that. I'll, I'll take care of this, this, and this. But you don't have to be very specific. They don't care. They don't care that you've, you've put in a form of JS form into this WordPress plugin. Like they don't, they don't care. Unless they're a technical customer, which happens, obviously. But if they're just a regular generic web website customer, they don't care which form you use. They don't even care which CMS you use. Sometimes people will bring up the fact that, oh, I want WordPress and all that. They're just saying WordPress as a way of saying, you know, Kleenex is napkins. That's what yeah, they're doing. Exactly. WordPress is a, is something that they can edit themselves so that they don't have to pay you to edit every single word on their site. That's what they mean. If you put something to them that's sanity or anything else like that, any any other, you know, CMS, they don't care because they if they can log in and edit stuff, that's all they care about. Now, now so to be clear here, to yeah. make sure you clarify that because some people are like marketing professionals that only understand WordPress and they actually want WordPress. Just yes. Like yeah, they that's have, true. They have like 10 years experience with WordPress and they just want a new site because their WordPress site is 10 years old. They could actually want WordPress, but you are correct. Most customers say WordPress and what they mean by that is I just want an editor, but yeah. always confirm. Yeah, always confirm. Exactly. Like if it's a 10-year marketing client that has his own plugins that he uses for his SEO, that's a different story, obviously. And again, like there are technical clients that have very specific requirements. Those are, you have to go on a case by case basis, but as an overarching thing, WordPress is just, just means editable. So essentially what you're, what you're doing with your client and how you're using your jack of all trades with this is being able to talk to them from all different perspectives. So you understand how the back end works. You might, you're not an expert. You don't even really code in the back end, but you understand how it works because you've delved in it. You've done a personal project with Node or whatever, and you understand the, the, or NPHP and you understand the, the structure. You understand the deployment of it because you, again, you've deployed your personal projects a few times. You've seen, you've watched a couple of YouTube videos on how deployments work. Again, you're not an expert. You're just, you're just knowledgeable in that field. So you understand how the whole thing works. And 
really when we were talking about it before and I asked you that question like do you want to are you do you want to be an expert in one thing or well-rounded I knew your answer was going to be well-rounded because you couldn't do the job that we do without being well-rounded it's not possible yeah so it it was it was kind of like a gimme question obviously but it was a very important one where like I just it's important to hear from a couple different sides why it's why you need to be open-minded why you need to be able to go from one technology to the other and I liked how you mentioned um you know I'm strong in this in css i'm not an expert in this i'm not an expert in this i'm strong in css i'm strong in webflow now that we've been using it for a while see that now keyword is important too because at any point maybe you'll move on to something else other than webflow and you'll be strong in that as well and that your open-mindedness to be able to do that is something that i'm trying to like convey to the audience is Yes, you might be strong in something like we have Discord members you were mentioning, strong in P, strong in WordPress, strong in Vue. They're really strong in that, and I I don't know if like I don't know if they call themselves masters or whatever, but from my understanding, they also understand many other concepts of web development, and they're willing to go in and be like, okay, well, WordPress is now being outdated, or Vue is now changing to Svelte or whatever, and they're willing to go out and learn a little bit about Svelte to make sure that they know. What's going on? And Svelte is another framework, kind of like Vue and React, just to just to give a little bit of background. It's a newer one, but essentially that's that's the kind of attitude that I think will propel you in your career, especially when you're first starting out. Because locking yourself in before you've even had a job is, I don't know, I got that. <laughs> that's like trying to win the lottery, kind of thing. Like if you're gonna be an expert in one thing and only one thing, and you're gonna try to get a job with that, that's really tough. When you get a job and you're, you know, 10 years down the line, it's a little bit of a different discussion. We're not like Matt and I aren't there yet. We're not 10 years into our careers. We're not 20 years into our careers. So we don't have that perspective to give, but I know it's a different perspective. I know that because I've read a lot. I've done a lot of research into it. I know that as soon as you get to that experience standpoint, you, you lose, you go to a different kind of place. You go to a different atmosphere you you have that experience where you might be able to call yourself a master of something and it might be valuable but again when you're first starting out and most of you that that are listening are starting out or in that first beginning phase it's important to have that open mind and as you continue in the first 10 years of your career even i think it's also important to keep that as much as you can and that's why i want to transition to the next thing here and it's calling yourself a master of anything is the wrong approach right away. So if you're if you're going out there and on the forums and or going to an the worst thing you can do is go to an interview and be like I'm a master at this. I am a master at CSS. I am a master at HTML. And going into an interview with I, you will get creamed. And this is something that uh was reiterated inside that Reddit post and I completely agree with it. Um don't do that because when a person sees on your resume that you're a master of something, if they're interviewing developer, they're going to grill you hard on that subject. Because when you when you call yourself that, you're just asking for it, right? Like it's just it's what you the right approach is if you think you're a master, you probably think that you've you don't need to do any more work in it, and it leads to stagnation. So we should really never think of ourselves as masters in any subject that we're doing and always try to be better, right? Like as as long as you're trying to be better at something, that's that's really what I think counts. And as long as you 
have that mindset going into any subject that you're learning. You shouldn't think of yourself as, you know, a top of the mountain, like I was saying it before. It's just not a good mindset to have. And that's why this quote, it does, like the master of none, is doesn't really mean anything. Like jack of all trades, because master itself is such an open-ended word. And there's a million different definitions for it and a million different takes on what signifies a master. Like you might say, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years and I know all the ins and outs of SQL. Like I'm a master at SQL. And then you look at beside you and there's another person that's been doing it for 35 years and they're the master. Like why are you saying you're a master? Like you're still learning. You're obviously still going in and figuring stuff out sometimes. So you, it's just – it's the wrong mindset and it's the wrong phrase to even use for anything that we're doing in my opinion. You can be very knowledgeable at it. You can be like – you can be confident in your knowledge of it. You can be confident in your knowledge of trouble – of being able to learn it as well and you can say like I know this really well, stuff like that. But again, would you really put I'm a master of this or like you know I'm – I am the expert on this on your resume? I, I don't think that that's the smartest idea because again, like I was saying before, you're going to get grilled. And I think for Matt and I, we're not, we haven't been in the industry for long enough to be able to consider ourselves even thinking of becoming one of something like this, like being knowledgeable enough to even think of it. And I think unless you've been in the industry for a decade, you're probably not in that area as well. So you probably haven't mastered any one topic. So you, you, you don't know what you don't know in, in that case. And you shouldn't assume that. You shouldn't assume that you know everything. Only having worked on many different projects with many, many different teams on all different aspects of a technology can you start to like approach it from someone that's extremely knowledgeable in that field. Again, I'm avoiding the word master because I just pooped on that word for a long time. But like when you when you've done so many different kind of scenarios from all different sides and you've see, you've essentially seen it all, then maybe you're at that point where you can be like, okay, on my resume, I'll be like, I am the expert of this on this subject. And there are people out there like that. There's experts on security. There's experts on SEO, which is really tough to be, by the way. Like those 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 people are highly in demand. You know why? Because there's so few of them that are so good at it that they can just they know all the ins and outs, and they don't need any other resources and stuff like that to be able to figure it out. They're the resource of it. There are people like that out there. Again, they're probably not on top of the mountain either. There's probably people even better than them. But I'm just saying, like those people put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of a lot of their lives into that and. Really, they are making a bet on something. Like they are kind of rolling the lottery being like, I hope this kind of pans out because I put 25 years of it. Wouldn't you rather put most of your time into being able to learn stuff quickly and be being maneuverable and being able to jaw, you know, go from one job to another instead of – for me, it would be boring. Like if I was just doing – even like I love JavaScript, I would say that's my heart, like my strongest suit. It would be boring for me to think like I'm never going to learn anything in the back end or I'm never going to like – I suck at design. I'll be the first one to admit that I, I'm not good at UX, but I honestly want to be good at it. And I've, I will, my goal is to take a few courses and try to at least become like basic at it, <laughs> at least understand the concepts. So it would be so boring for me if I just didn't even think of that. Like if I was just like, oh, I suck at design, so I'm never going to do that. I'm only going to do JavaScript. So one thing I wanted to pose to Matt here is what do you think? What what are the distinguishing characteristics of a master in your opinion? Because again, like I said, there's a million different ways to signify a master. But do you think that there is a classification that you would give? Do you have any examples of masters that you know? 
It's hard to say when it comes to technology because technology does rapidly change. Things update, things change. So you might be, let's say, let's say I, I would say a master if I was to write this out on paper. A master is someone who understands every feature, every concept, and can execute those those features and concepts well and with maybe minimal documentation, although that's probably like a tentative point on my paper. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, yeah. But it, it it's someone who do, who goes like, oh, uh, it's like some sort of like uh, function. I don't know, some sort of function type. Like, oh, I know that function type and that's it. And then they can go and do it or they, they can they can hold a conversation basically on every topic that comes up in a given field. Now. The thing that now I already mentioned that technology updates. So immediately when that happens, you're no longer within that parameter until you update yourself on those topics that get changed or updated or whatever. And so, and some of those might be quite complex. So that might take a long time, but I really liked your example actually about the, when you say, Oh, I'm the SQL master. And then, uh, and that's a cool title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're the SQL master and, like you have 20 years experience and then the guy beside you has 35 years experience. I really like that example because what I think it would, I think a master would be in terms of in the field would be actually contextual. So it wouldn't be so much of a, a like pen and paper dictionary description. Like I just said, where I just gave you a definition, it would actually be based on the context of the office. So for example, um, if you were, you are the, are the master of doing the of doing Node.js in our company, like period. I'm the master of CSS in our company, period. We hire someone that has 10 years CSS experience. He's now the master of CSS and I'm not. Because the way I'm thinking of it is in an office where the team is growing, that's how it would work. You'd be like, oh, go talk to Matt. He's the master. And then we hire Jim. He has 10 years. Now we go, oh, go talk to Jim. He's the master. If Jim's not there, go talk to Matt. That's how it would work, right? And so that's what I think. I think that the, the term master is actually more of a contextual term. Because the thing is, is that if, if let's say, for example, I get a whole bunch of experience, which I do have in WordPress, or uh, not WordPress, uh, Webflow, I... As I've stated, like I am the Webflow master of digital dynasty design. Like I just am. That's just the that's just the truth. But if you suddenly started working on it and I stopped, you would slowly become the Webflow master, and then I would actually ask you questions because you've been in it now, maybe longer or as long as I've been. But you were also in it more recently, and they update that platform more like quite frequently. So therefore, now you have more up to date information, and now you're the master. That is how. I would equate that because first of all, people, people's knowledge gets rusty and it's also based on, it's also based on like the hierarchy of, it's almost like seniority, if you will, where someone else can come and take, like you, you could become the guy that doesn't have the most seniority. If somebody else, if somebody else comes in and has more seniority in that field, if that's how it's measured, not with the company, obviously, because it came in later, but you know what I'm trying to get at is it, it's, that's how I would real world measure a master. Um, so there's my paper and my real world definitions. Uh, I don't know if you agree or disagree with those, but that's just how I think, how I think it would go. Yeah, that's a, it's a cool different perspective to look at, to be honest. I, I, I like that you brought that perspective because it, 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 it's different than mine where I'm saying there's no such thing as a master. Yours is like, well, yes, everyone's a master of something as contextually, right? Like if you, with you and your friend are doing a project and you're doing the front end, then you're the master of the front end. I like, 
I like that because it gives people, the audience, a way to kind of see it from both sides. And if they, whatever side that you kind of gravitate to, it's fine, right? This isn't, this isn't a science. Uh, this is nothing like that. Whatever. This is, this is us trying to, like, this is us trying to tell you that not everyone's different. Everyone's completely different. Everyone tries to do things differently. The fact that you're feeling like this is the same as most people are feeling as well. Like we're all feeling that we're, again, the imposter syndrome kicks in. The jack of all trades is kind of a piggybacking on that imposter syndrome. Like why do I, why am I spending all my time in this? I should be spending all my time in this stuff like that. It's important to just have perspective that you're not the only one going through it. And there's many different ways of looking at it and try to look at it in a positive swing. That's the main thing. Like try to try to see it as you're evolving as a person, as you're evolving as a developer, as a businessman, stuff like that. Instead of looking at it and seeing that Joe, you know, Joe out there is being a master of something that you're not a master of. That's there's not no positives going to come at from from you from looking at it like that. So I, I like that you brought it up in that kind of context. And the the other thing the other thing I I, I thought of as well is the fact that or like a common scenario that you could find yourself in is if you think that you are the master or you're really well versed in something, let's say CSS, and then you meet a friend you haven't talked to in a long time, he's in the same field and, and you're like, oh, I'm doing CSS as well. And then the first words out of his mouth and then the rest of the conversation for the rest of that conversation are stuff that you don't quite understand or have never heard of before. You now think like, you now have the imposter syndrome immediately. You're thinking, oh my God, this person is way above me. Whereas like you're doing your job just fine. Maybe you're the master of your own office where you're the number one guy in your office for CSS. Now this guy is, you're like, well, I'm, I must be an idiot, but the job doesn't care if that makes sense. The job doesn't care if the website's getting done with how you're doing it versus how he's doing it. At the end of the day, if the result is the same or the result is at least comparable, then does it really matter? No one really cares uh, as long as the job is done. Think about like how different any job, any job comes in. Any repairman comes in, any, any, uh, if you brought four web agencies into one job, I would think there would at least be, at least be two completely different scenarios across those two, if not four, right? Like, you know, two of them might suggest WordPress, two might suggest Wix or something, whatever. Maybe it'll be all different. One custom, one's view, one's this, one's that, one's whatever. But that's my, that's my closing note i think on that um uh uh, do would you like to move on to the old web news or unless you had something else to add to that part no let's do it let's do web news i think we covered that really well all right awesome so our uh web news this week is actually kind of it's probably gonna end up being kind of funny kind of weird and uh also kind of serious in terms of business sense as well so it's, it's about customer service and customer service is something that all companies do differently and this is also the case most often across most often across a bunch of different web agencies as well um, and freelancers for that matter as well and some companies so the couple different examples is some companies like to hold their customers hand through the entire experience right from that start you know, get, get the quotes, the, all that stuff, all the way through like, oh, here's how you use, here's the completed product, here's how you use it, and blah, 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 here's your training and all that. Whereas others just say, they come in, they do one or two meetings, they do like a quote meeting, and an, and an information gathering meeting, or sometimes it's both in one, they take off, you know, a few weeks, few months, whatever the timeline is, come back, finish product, and maybe they adjust, and that's it. 
Um, and there's kind of not like a violent argument, but there's kind of an argument for both sides. But I, I watch a fair bit of YouTube videos on freelancing and that type of thing. And there's a, there is a, clearly there's different, different people for different, uh, or different agencies do it differently. Some are strictly like, don't bother the customer. They're like, if you're, if you're bringing the customer in, you're bothering them. Whereas in our opinion, we'll, we'll be flexible where I'll just make it for you. There's been a few people where they're just like, I don't care. It needs to have these five things do it. But there is the, there are those customers in our experience where they literally say, maybe they're experienced in, in it and they want to be involved. Maybe they're interested in it. And so they want to be involved. Or maybe they're just one of those people that will constantly call you and ask you questions and that type of thing. And I don't know how those agencies that just take off handle customers like that. Maybe they handle them fine. But in my opinion, it's customer service should be flexible, but I do prefer the handholding just because I like the UX to be, they know exactly what's going on. They don't like log in and be like, why can't I upload pictures at 90K, that type of thing. Um, so with that being said, what type of customer service do you prefer and what type of customer service do you offer? And then second question, do you have any good customer service tales? Good or bad? Tales or stories, I guess I should have said, but okay. Uh this is I'm gonna go on a tangent. I'm Uh-oh. It's, it's gonna be yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a long tangent. So cement it, mixers. It'll, it'll, what about those yeah. cement mixers? <laughs> no, like, yeah, but no, it's gonna go it's gonna go to a weird place. Um oh, no. and it'll come back, I think. I think it'll come back, I hope. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep I'm gonna start talking and then hopefully something makes sense at the end. So with customer service, I like to think of it as there's two different ways to do it. And like, like you said, one is like kind of customer handholding. The other one is going through it, uh, going through and just giving them what they want. And that's it. There's other, there's another two different kinds as well, where it's one, one is treating the customer like a normal human being that you trust. And the other one is treating the customer like a complete moron that you hate and oh, you just want to get rid of them. No, honestly, they, they, there's two different, there's, and I've seen it so many times, like that you just, you, you know, when you're a massive co- corporation, there's going to be some bad people that uh, buy from I, you. I, I see there's going to be some this. people that scam you. There's going to be some people that, you know, there's going to be some bad people. So what one company will do is they'll treat everyone as bad people. So they'll do everything they can to make your life worse uh, to protect their product. Yeah. Okay. 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 And then. The other side will be, I'm going to, we're a company that knows there's a few bad people. We're going to accept those bad people. We're going to let that ride, but we're going to treat you like a human being and we're going to trust what you have to say. So I'll give an example. Amazon. Amazon's not the best ethical company in the world. We, a lot, a lot of, like uh, their worker, you know, life is like, not Like, that like great. I always say, it's controversial. Yeah. Hit me up on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, let, let me know all about Amazon. I know, I know that they're not the best company in the world, but their customer service is great. That it is. That it is. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. When you buy from Amazon Prime and you buy something and you get it and you're like, oh, this is not exactly what I wanted. Like there's a couple things here that it's not – it's kind of what I wanted but not exactly what I wanted. You go to their website. You click a couple buttons and you're returning it for free. They send you a postage, everything. Like everything is covered. You just have to go to the post office and drop it off. That's great. They're treating you like a human being even though they know – that a lot of people will just do that. And sometimes, like, for instance, I know some people, and this is a really scummy thing to do, but they'll buy, like, a processor 
uh, from them, like a high-end processor, and then they'll put like a low-end processor back in the box and send it back. So there's some scummy people oh, you out there. You son of a bitch. You son yeah, of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm not – don't do that. That's a shitty thing to do. You're, you're a shitty person if you do that. But people will do that no matter what. So you're a big company. Someone will screw you. Their thought process is, is that they have volume so they can account for that. My thing would be add some money to your products. Like, Let's say you're a smaller company and you have to account for these people too. It's tougher to account. I'd rather pad my pad my product with a little bit of extra cost and deliver great customer service and account and know that there's going to be a few people that are just going to take advantage of the system and stuff like that. But every product that's sold is paying for those shitty people. It's unfortunate, but at least I'm providing good customer service to everyone. That's how I see it. So a, a company that's kind of crappier um is is a okay there's, there's i'm not going to name names because matt and i talked about this and we don't want to do that but it's a, it's a chinese re- retailer online essentially yeah. and i've had is, is, issues with them where like it's the same process as amazon so you go through you buy something and i got it and i was like this is garbage like this isn't this isn't anything like what i what i wanted <laughs> and like it's literally they literally lied in their posting and i and i like i started a dispute and stuff like that and i tell them my problem and instead of being like, okay, here you go, you can send it back, they start arguing with me, like full-on arguing in the dispute. And we have like, you know, three days of conversations about how the fact that they lied and they they send me screenshots of the fact that they didn't lie. I send them screenshots. Like it's literally a full-on war. You're having, you're having a fight uh, with like another person. Over, like you're having a over fight. Over like 15 – over like – yeah, over like $15, right? Because it's the principle perfect. of the matter. And like I understand that their perspective is that there's a lot of people that will take advantage of the system, right? I fully understand that, but they're treated they're doing the exact opposite of what Amazon's doing, and they're make they're leaving a bad taste in my mouth and me not wanting to use their service as much. Like I'd rather like when I when I think of something to buy, I'll go to Amazon and I check there first, essentially, because they've been treating me decently well. I actually that don't even change. I actually normally don't even check anywhere else anymore. Oh, I'm alright with exactly. that. Boom, pay exactly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm willing to pay a premium. Like I said before, I'm okay with that padded cost, honestly. Although what's weird is is I've had a couple of Prime items are returned and they didn't give it to me for free, but they gave That's me a strange. good they gave me a good shipping price back. But I wonder if it was due to the size of the item. Yes, if it's like a TV or something, if it if it's a fairly large item, they will charge you for it. It wasn't quite that large, but it was larger than a normal box. So I think also I think... also it depends on the reasoning as well. Sometimes oh. if you say like I didn't like the color, you know what I mean. But they won't question your reasoning, is what I'm saying. Like if you, oh yeah, they again, did. They didn't you... question me. They they gave me a good yeah. deal back. It was like five. dollars They gave you a good deal back. But if you if you were to go back and and have put a different uh you know dispute thing, like I've paid I've paid shipping costs a couple times because I legitimately ordered something by accident. And I just said, I, I didn't mean to order this. And they've sometimes charged me shipping costs. Okay. Fair enough. Whatever. I mean, you know but I mean? it's still good. Like, they, they, yeah, they still don't but, say, like, well, good luck with it then, bud. Exactly. Like, but but most of the time when I'm shipping something back is because it's not working or it's not working as I wanted it to. Right. As the, as the product is stated. Usually that's why I'm shipping something back. Usually when I buy something, I buy it for a reason. And you and then it's free. And they don't question you. Like, you can – if you're a person that doesn't want to pay the shipping costs, you can always click one of the other ones. Like, you know, I – it's defective or whatever, and they'll ship it back for free. But I like I don't do that every time because again I understand that padded cost. They treat me like a human being essentially, so I treat them like a human being, even though maybe it's not fair because they're a massive corporation. But I, like 
it's the quid pro quo that I like to think in my own head to make myself think, think better. But anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah, the whole so, mass corporation thing is a whole yeah. other conversation for exactly. another day. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. I can't I can't always be thinking politically in every million different ways. Like I have to be thinking like a human being sometimes, and that's what I do. But so it's two different companies doing the same thing, selling stuff online, but doing their customer service completely differently. And I I like to do it the right way. The the way that I, I prefer is I think is right is treating people like a human being and going and yes, it might have an added cost to your product, but I think that that's okay. As long as you're willing to put in the work for the customer service. That's where that's where I kind of stand in the customer service um game, I think. I like I have another a couple of things, but I'm wondering what your take on that is. Uh, what which particular part? Do you have a question? Like, uh, so comparing it to your two stances, I think like your, you have, you have, you have your two classifications. I have my two classifications. How do we combine them? Like, how do we compare them? That's my question. Well, I would say that the, your, your customer service, your customer service one where you would prefer to treat them like a human is closer to holding their hand. And the reason why I say that is because I always like to hold the customer's hand is, you know, figuratively through the process because I don't want them to have any questions. I think that a better UX is them to have either extremely reasonable questions or not have any questions at all, if that makes sense. And there's always going to be questions, but I'm striving. It's one of those unattainable goals, but I'm striving for no questions. And I'm also striving for a minute, like less questions, just as I guess, basically what I'm, what I'm striving for. And I think, I think that would be the closest that would be the closest I would estimate because that's kind of treating them like a human, right? I don't want to make them confused. I don't want them to have any surprises. I don't want them to not understand what's going on. I try to make it very easy, very whatever. And I put the extra little things and I'll put help text into places where I know they'll forget. I'll write guides, attach it to email so that if let's say I'm gone and whatever, if they're a customer that just doesn't read emails, I can at least say, hey, sorry, I'm out of town, but I did send you that guide. If you need to know how to do this process, please check that little quick guide I made for you. And like then it's up to them, but it's still something better than just saying like, hey, you're on your own for a week. I'm gone or whatever. And so it's I think that it's more human to do it that way. Um, I will say, though, that I that you're right about the cost padding, because when when we've done it and we've done this before several times is when we're learning how to price things or we're still learning how to price things. We'll price something like super low because the customer wants it super low. And as a result, the customer service does suffer, not because we're like, you know, ripping into them and that type of thing, but it's because we're providing, we're like, we're trying to ensure that we're being paid, you know, something more reasonable than like a dollar an hour. And some people will demand almost like 200 hours work for $150. Like that's not unheard of. And made whether or not they realize that it it is 200 200 hours work let's say or something cuz they're not technical so maybe they thought it was 10 minutes or something. But at the end of the day we won't do, you know, we won't do as much for them, the product won't be as much and it's because of the price. So like padding it makes you, cause you're going to lose motivation if you're being paid a dollar an hour. Like you're going to get to a point where, you know, you're not telling the customer off. You're not providing a bad product. But if, if a customer is paying me a fair bit and they say, Oh damn, like I forgot in the whole thing, I forgot I need two photo galleries. To me, it's like, all right, I'm not going to charge you extra in general. I'll just duplicate this one, you know, edit it slightly. And here's your second photo gallery. But to that other customer, 
it seems less human to them because I would say, no, sorry, buddy. Like, because you forgot to do that in the original scope of the project, I have to charge you extra, right? Because I'm, I'm already at like a dollar an hour or something ridiculously low. So I don't want to get screwed out of even more money, essentially, even if they're not realizing they're doing it. Like that might be that evil person thing. Like you're saying, if they realize they're paying me so little, but it also could just be due to them being ignorant because they don't understand that it is a long process. Like they might think it's just a few clicks of a mouse kind of thing. And so that's, that, that's, that's sort of what I mean is I, it, I get, I guess is what I'm trying to get at is I understand those agencies that don't, that just do the quick, like jump in, grab as grab a little or grab like the information they need to start. And then they disappear and then come back with the product. And then they edit it because they're trying to do it rapid fire they're trying to do it. They're trying to keep the cost down. They're trying to keep everything within templates. They're trying to keep everything like that. But like that templated, more bureaucratic, don't see it until it's finished process is less human like to me anyway. Um, now to devil's advocate myself, almost in a way, we do have some customers that hate being involved in stuff. And so we just don't involve them. I think you need to be flexible. Like some people are just like, I, I I toss you this note. My customers need to read this note. I just want you to put it up, go away. You know, they're not that rude, but just like go away and do it. So it's like, all right, no problem. I'll make sure it's readable. If we need to adjust it later, fine. But your customers will be able to read it. No problem. And that's, that's not a problem. But I, I'm with you on the treat them more like a human, hold their hand through it. I think I prefer that. I do prefer that. I, I agree. Like again, like you said, right now, it's, you have to be flexible. So some people treating them like a human is doing the other way of just doing what they ask, and that's it. Yeah, that's what they that's what they feel treats them like a human. With our business, it's obviously not like Amazon or whatever the other site is. It's not like that. But you're right. It does the human aspect does apply. So treating someone like a human is an important an important thought process as you're going through it. Don't treat them as an item you're you and the customer are trying to do this together and if they have if they need help or whatever it's up to you to be able to do those kinds of things and to do that like you said matt you have to be able to price accordingly because you don't want to outprice yourself out of interest it has to be worthwhile for both parties right the customer has to be happy you have to be happy when you're pricing really really tough skill to have matt and i don't have it down yet just fully admit that 100 percent We've tried. We're getting better at it, I think, <laughs> maybe. I, that's a skill where I don't think there's a master, actually. Like, maybe in the yeah. office, there's, like, the best guy at it. Yeah. But, like, that that is a skill where it's, like, it is rapidly changing. Competition's going freaking crazy, especially in certain markets. Like, there's a lot of web devs out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just chaos out there. And so, like, that is something that is, like, you might call yourself a master, but you're not going to be that good. Because I don't think anyone's that good. Yeah. Yeah, the price, the pricing in web development, web design is just out, just crazy. Like you can, we've talked about this before, but you can go and ask five different agencies or five different web develop web developers out there for a, a quote, and you'll have drastically different. And I mean, like anywhere from for a regular site, anywhere from like fifty thousand dollars to like five hundred dollars. Like that that scale is ludicrous to me. Like I can't. And we you and as a developer and as a business owner, you have to somehow do that and that's really really tough but again it's something like 
treat yourself as a human being, treat the customer as a human being, find something, find something that you're both happy with. Otherwise it's not going to be a good product and you can move on. Definitely. That's how, that's how I think we have to go about it anyway. And that's how we've been kind of preaching to ourselves is like going into every single quote that we do. Are we going to be happy with this? If we're not, what's the point? Because we're going to do a deliver a shitty product most likely. Not that like we, I mean, again, it's, it's not on purpose. We don't go out there and be like, oh, they paid us a little, we, they paid us so little, so we're going to do something bad. It's not like that. We try, we still try our best, but when they call us at 7 p.m. and we're in the middle of something, we're less motivated to pick up because again, like we don't want to work for a dollar an hour. We don't, we don't have like, they didn't trust us to be able to, to offer the, the right price. So why should we trust that? It's, it's that in, it's not un- a subconscious feeling that you're, you're not working on this together. You're just trying to get something done and delivered and that's it. And that's not the right way to do business in my opinion. Definitely. Um, yeah. So th- that's kind of where I stand on customer service. I, I don't think there's a one single formula for every customer, like, especially when we're an, like, we're not an agency. And I, even for an agency, in my opinion, it's wrong to put a single formula for every customer. Um, not sometimes they don't have a choice because they're so big. Like Matt said, with a massive agency, there has to be bureaucracy. There's no other ways to do it, like for sure. Like you have to rapid would... fire some stuff out sometimes. And, exactly. And you have exactly. to pigeonhole people. Like you have to say, sorry, guys, we don't do two photo galleries yeah. or something. I don't know. But you, we, yeah. you know, we, Which... you follow the process. And w- while we're not big, uh, I think we can take advantage of that fact that we can provide the great customer service and that's where we're that's what we're going for at least that's that's what i always go for is try to do at least that the best out of out of everyone and stuff like that so that that's kind of where i stand on customer service in general yeah i i 100 agree with you there um i think it's i think it's time to actually crack out some stories about uh customer customer service because i think we're on the same page uh for that web news um which is which is kind of rare actually like usually we're on the same we're like half on the same page uh but like i think i think that our customer service skills have kind of grown together i would say because it's like obviously not as good in the beginning and it's really grown grown up honestly so um yeah yeah. so uh i don't know who i don't know if you want to go first you want me to go first doesn't matter to me i have a good and a bad story so no, you fire up, fire off your good and bad stories. Okay, so I'm gonna. Should I start with the good or the bad? I'm gonna start with the good because it's probably gonna generate yeah. the less, the least amount. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm not gonna name the bad company. I'm gonna name the good company because it's weird. This is a weird, it's a weird story. People hate, people hate their car insurance companies, and my best customer service I've ever had in my entire life is with my car insurance company. <laughs> That's so weird. And it's TD Insurance. And the reason why I say that is because got on like a little fender bender in a in a uh, in a uh, parking lot. Not going to get into a whole bit, but anyway, um, so I had to get my car fixed. They tell me exactly like where to go, what's going to happen, like you know what the price is, what this, what all the whole bit. They tell me like okay, you go here, like so the pro- the whole process. I'll just go through it because it's pretty brief. You go to this particular shop and you talk to these people. They're going to do like an assessment. They tell me exactly what they're going to do. And that shop had really great customer service. And then they say, okay, they're going to schedule an appointment with you. Or I can't remember maybe if TD was going to, but someone scheduled an appointment for me. They say, you show up at this time. That's when your appointment is. They're going to like take your car in. At that point, you're going to be picked up by a rental car company. Rental car company is going to take you to the rental place because you have this type of insurance. Like it was to this letter because you have this type of insurance, fill out the, the car insurance or the, um, the car rental form in this particular way. 
They, they tell me what box to check in the thing. So they're like, showed up, like checked, like whatever, signed the thing, had a car and just drove off the lot. Never has anything. And I'm serious now. Never has anything been that smooth in my entire life. And throughout this whole process, they give me one agent to talk to. I get his like personal, his personal work number, right? So it's a line to him, but he's at work. It's like it to his desk or whatever. But I get like a line to this one person. If you have questions or whatever, you can leave a message. You can talk to the person directly if they're there. Like peace of mind right there. Like, like seriously <laughs> though, like I saw like, it sounds like a ridiculous testimonial, but I'm not afraid to call my car insurance company. And I think, <laughs> I think a, a lot of people are. Such a are. weird phrase to say. But I think a lot of people are where they're like, oh, fuck, like, if I call, they're going to think I'm making a claim. Like, I've called and asked about certain things. Like, hey, like, this kind of happened. Like, a tree hit this or something. You know, is this considered a claim? No, like, just don't worry about it or whatever. Like, I don't know. That's a made-up scenario. But, like, I'm not afraid to call and ask about stuff like that. That's the best customer survey experience we've ever had. It's been the smoothest. It went exactly as it was. There was no wait time. I knew what the heck was going on. I never was without a vehicle, and it got fixed the way I wanted, and that was it. So, it's interesting. Yeah, it has- you know what's inter- what's interesting is, is I've I've also I think pretty much only had positive experience with insurance companies. That's weird. Like I've never had. I've never. Yeah, it is weird, right? I think I think it's because our cases are so dead simple like you got hit in the parking lot you know what i mean like yeah, I, I wasn't even in the car kind of thing so it's like yeah like i and it was the same thing for me where like i got i got hit the other guy took blame right away um and that was it like it was just it was just such a straightforward process and they're like okay yeah go it was a similar thing to, to what you said do this we'll give you a rental car period done and that was all done it, it it's a strange I've never had an issue with them and like knock on wood because I know a lot of people have had issues with insurance companies and same with uh, mostly family as well. Like I know my grandpa, I think had TD insurance as well or some sort of bank insurance, broke his leg in Mexico when he was out there vacationing and they like did everything, everything they could possibly do. The insurance company paid for absolutely everything. They flew a nurse out there to to fly, yeah, to fly first class with them back. And then he like had a nurse come out like once, once a day for like a month for rehab. Like it was, it was insane how much they, how much money they put into it. I think the the final bill that they had to pay for that was like well over like $150,000. Holy. For a broken leg in Mexico. Crap. So, and again, it was super smooth. You put, you call the number and that's it. So I think, again, broken leg, it's not a heart condition or anything. You know what I mean? So it's a simple situation for an insurance company. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, there's no, like, there's yeah. no, there's no blurred lines. As soon as you get to the blurred lines aspect of insurance, I think that's where everyone has the issues. And that, that's understandable from both sides, right? right? Like right. from the customer side, it's like, well, like this is, you know, I bought this insurance. I've been paying for it for all this time. You're getting me on a small little technicality, and the insurance company was like, "That's te- that's a technicality because yeah. it, it exists <laughs> yeah. for it in the first place." Like, it's it's a tough situation, and I'm sh- like, I really hope I never have to hit it, but like, I I feel like it's you know, I'm worried about it all the time. You're worried yeah, about it all the it. time. <laughs> yeah, I don't, like I don't want to deal. I don't like even though I've had good experience with insurance companies, I still don't want to deal with them. If that makes sense. Well, it's because I think you're you're always thinking that there could be that bad one. Yeah. 
And it's always, it's usually always in a negative, like getting in an accident, regardless of how good your insurance is, is never a fun experience. No, but like, it's good to know that you like, like for me, it's like peace of mind that I'm not afraid to call them. Whereas like, imagine being stressed out and possibly injured from an accident. And then also being like, I really don't want to call these people. And now I have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. So it's, but you're right. Like, imagine if it was like, I got hit. I got hit and then the car got hit or something. Like I was outside mm-hmm. of the car. I got hit. I don't know. To- again, totally made up scenario. I get hit. The car got hit. And then they're like, well, we only cover the car actually. And it's yeah. like, but I got, I got hit. And it's like, you know <laughs> what I mean? And they'd be like, no, no, no. But technicality, like subsection C, part J, subsection II, like they they would well, probably, yeah. or they could, the insurance companies could, could probably do that. I would assume. Are they, and they yeah. probably do on, on those weird cases because it'd be like, well, you were hit first or I don't know, some you know some crazy thing that's in the, the paperwork. The, the weird technicality that uh, I know – I think my mom has experienced is she was hit from behind and then she hits someone in the front. No, no. So, it wasn't my oh, mom anyway. Oh, I think so, I've heard about weird things like this though. So th- this is where like insurance companies are kind of weird. Because then it's like where, whose fault is it? Like it was – Whose fault is so it? So now yeah. it's like your mom was following too close behind – and that person was following too close behind, so she but like she got in an accident and but she, they were stopped at a light, right? Oh, Jesus. So what? Whose whose fault is it? But but in the insurance company, as far as as far as I've seen, anyway, one hundred percent fifty fifty to blame. That's horse. So that's, as soon as that's... as soon as someone hits you from behind <sighs> and you hit someone from the front, fifty fifty for the whole accident. Good. So that sucks. That right? no, like, that, no, so that, that doesn't that, suck. That that's fucking stupid. To be to be yeah, blunt, but, to be as yeah. blunt as I could be, that's that's yep. stupid. Yeah. Anyway, so it's like it's those little things that that's what makes me kind of hesitant about insurance companies because I understand they're they're just in it for money. Like that's it. I I'm I have had good experience with them though, so I'm not saying that their customer service is bad so much right now. Right. But their their mindset is definitely not in the correct place for sure. Well. My my mind hasn't been changed about that yet. My <laughs> my best customer service is still with TD Insurance. I'm going to knock on wood. Okay. And uh, I'm also going to uh, do a disclaimer that we're not we are not sponsored Sponsor. by TT Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I kind of wish that'd be freaking like, awesome. I'll, yeah, I'll take it. But yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> um. Okay. So now comes the bad story, and it's pretty bad. So one of my ISPs, I'm not going to mention which one because I've had a bunch in the past. But one of my ISPs, uh, basically one day my internet goes down. I'm like, all right. So I go and I look at the box and the box is like flashing with the thing. And the, and so I have like the book and uh, it tells me, or like the light guy, I think it was like a card. And it tells me like, if these three are doing this, it's trying to figure itself out, whatever. So it does that for a while. Doesn't, doesn't work, whatever. So I go on, uh, I go on Twitter, which obviously on my phone's data and I go on Twitter and I go look and they're, they're not, they're not saying anything about it. So I'm like, all right, something's wrong here. So I do the normal, the normal crap where I like unplug the router, the modem and all the rest of it, unplugging stuff, replugging stuff in, rebooting, uh, whatever, do the whole, whole, the whole shebang. So it doesn't work. Nothing's still on Twitter. Check that again. So I call them and they're like, okay, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have to take a look, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so I don't exactly know. I think it was, I think it was just later that day, but somebody from their tech department, I assume higher up in the tech department, I'm not a hundred percent. Calls me up and says, hey, we need you to go on your computer and we need you to get logs because we need to, like, send that to the correct department. So I said, okay, fine. 
So I went in and I did the logs, like I said, and I'm not like I used to be a, a friggin' network admin. So, um, a server admin, network admin, whatever. I used to be that. So they asked me to do, I think it was a trace row and like a ping. And uh, I think it was like pinging Google's DNS or something, whatever, just to check. And so like, it was broken. Like this is a broken, like it doesn't work. The whole thing is broken. And so I send it, I take a screenshot. Like they ask, I send it to him. He's like, okay, just wait. So this little part's okay. He says, just wait. He gets the email. He says, yep, I got them. Great. I'll attach them to the ticket, whatever. So anyway, this is three or four days in at this point, because the original call when they, which they had called me, I should, I should say where they had called me back, I was gone and it was at the end of the day on Friday. And so I was like, well, I'll call you tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, okay. And then when I called them, they weren't open on the weekend. So that, that's already a, a knock against it. But anyway, so on Monday, I finally did this log thing. So anyway, so I get a call back like a day later, maybe it was later that day, but it was like a while later. And so we're already at like, I think it was Thursday or Friday it was out. And then like, like for Friday, for sure it was out Saturday, Sunday, it's out Monday, it's out. And so they eventually, uh, they eventually call me back again and they say, Hey, the, re- the logs you sent are incorrect. Like they're not what we're looking for. And I said, well, I'm going to tell you right now that this thing is down. It doesn't work. Someone needs to like, you know, do something, whether it's the lines, whether it's something on your node, whether it's, I don't know, like it's not in, it's not, as far as I know, it's not in, in this house or you can send me another modem to test and like, I'll even ship it back if you want me to. Like if it, if it ends up not being the problem, like there's something wrong with this. They said, no, no, like just send more logs. So I send more logs. I wait. It's been like 24 hours. All of a sudden I notice I'm start getting like a tiny bit of internet. Like it starts like pretty, pretty like slow. And then it just suddenly starts working. So then I don't know, a few hours later, guy calls me back. So at this point we're at like, I'm going to say three to five days. It's been years now. So I might be wrong on my timeline, but it's been more than two days. Like it's been a long time without internet for a person that runs a freaking web development firm. So basically, basically they, they call me up and they say, Hey, um, those, those second like round of logs you sent are wrong. And I said, what do you like, what do you want? Like, what do you want the log to say? Like, this is a broken, this doesn't work. And and I was like, but just to let you know, it came back. You know that, right? And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, like you do know that this is working now, right? They're like, oh, what, what did you do? And I said, I did nothing. I literally just left everything on. I didn't even unplug it. Nothing like after I did my restarts and such, it's been on and just sitting there for days and it just started working. They're like, oh, okay. I guess they must've fixed it. And I was like, well, would you know what the problem was? He's like, no, but like, we won't worry about it or something like that. And that was it. Like close the ticket. And that was it. And then after that, I was like, I'm not sticking around with these freaking guys. Like, how can I have that many days? Like it was approaching a week without internet. When I run, like I had, what I was doing was doing work locally on my computer. And then I was going to a family member's house to log into their Wi-Fi to upload my changes to somebody's site. And then I'd like come back and do work like locally again. Like that's what I was, that, that's what I was doing. And that's for work. Like, it's not like I was like, I desperately need my Netflix. Like it was legit. Like this is serious business now. Like something was wrong and it wasn't in here. Like that's what ticks me off is that it's not like they were giving me bureaucracy about the fact that it was like, oh, your modem's broken, but we don't want to replace it kind of thing. It was just, it was a matter of like, there was something broken on their line or on their node. And I guess like somebody was getting service and it got fixed at some point and it just started working again. And so I was like, well, you can't like at, at what point, at what point was that log situation going to get fixed? Those logs were not going to change. So would I still like, maybe not still to this day, cause it's been years, but like, would I, 
for weeks, like for like a month, been out and just been fighting with a person about logs because, oh, and this was another thing too, actually. I tried to call them several times during this, during this process and their phone system went down. And so it kept like kicking me out. And so eventually I got through, it kept like kicking me out, kicking me out. So I, I, I what would happen was I would go, it like, I don't know, press three or something to go to technical support and the technical support didn't work. It would like kick me out. So I, I would always have to call accounting and then I would, the accounting department would be like, oh, do you want to change your billing? And be like, I do not want to change my billing. Your, your damn phone system for the technical support's down. And then they'd have to transfer me to somebody else every single time. So now I got a middleman going on here. So now I got like some bureaucracy going on with this freaking thing. It was, it was, it was hell. Like, just please go like, like okay, internet is complex. I understand that. That's fine. But at the end of the day here, you understand that you have a node. Generally, that's where things break. The node, the line going into the house or the equipment in the house. The equipment in the house was verified for the most part as being fine. The line in the house was verified for the most part as being fine. Can you just, just please send someone out there to check the line and or the node? Just do that, please. No, I got to do these logs. We got to go through the, we got to go through the process. Got to make a ticket. It's like, why don't you just send someone to go do that? Like I'm paying you money. And it got to the point where we, where we were just like, we're just not going to like, we were going to start withholding. Like it, luckily it came back in under a week. It was like near a week, but it was under a week because it got to the point where it was like, like, we're not going to pay these guys because the thing is, is they kept delaying every day, every day. And what would end up happening? I know what would happen was they would ask for more logs. It would be like Friday. Hopefully I'm freaking home. And then they'd be gone for two days. Like it's not like they work on the weekend. So now we only have five days of the seven days to work with. And they're constantly like delaying by a day every time they call me. It's like, what is like, what is going on here? Like send someone over to freaking look at the line, bud. No, no, we gotta, you know, uh, like, and, and it wasn't even a thing where it was like, we'll send somebody over in three days. Where it's like, well, that's a piss off because it's three days in and of itself, right? It wasn't like it was like that. It was literally just like, we need to do this, like, we need to get this log situation sorted first. And it's like, dude, these logs are not going to get better because the actual system is broken. Like, it's not functioning. And they're like, well, are you sure you have your stuff connected? Well, it's an, it's an Ethernet cable connected to the computer, and that's not what I touched. So why would it say anything else? And I tried it on Wi-Fi. I tried it on, like, the wired and the logs were the same. I think it was like destination host or host unreachable. And they were looking for like a different thing where they, they actually wanted it to be like it timed out. And I was like, it's not timing out. It's not hitting the host. It can't figure it. Like it, it can't route. Something's broken. Like something is not functioning. Like this is really broken and it's probably not in this house. Can you please go check the lines? No, no, no. And, and you know what? And, and this, this is going to sound really stupid. I commend them. Like I commend companies like this sometimes because I, I still paid them. I paid them that month. And, they, and like, did they pro did they save money from, from me not using their service? Possibly. Cause technically speaking times money. So, but I mean, then they also called. So were they spending money? I don't know. But if they saved money on my normal usage, I commend them for what they did in, from a capitalist perspective, but from a consumer and which I am, that's a real tick off because it's like, come on guys, just check the line. Like, I wonder, it was a small company. From what I remember, it was a fairly small company for your area. It's not one of the big telecom companies. I wonder if they legitimately just don't have people to check lines. Like, I'm sure that they contract out someone to do it. But I'm wondering if they were just either stalling for time 
<laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what their logic was to not check the lines because I know when you call one of the bigger telecom companies, they'll send out someone to check pretty quickly. Now, they'll send out level one technicians. Right. Which are also contracted out. Right. How the big – this is how the big telecom companies work here is they have, I think, level one, two, three – like, they have many levels of technicians. Yeah. Their first level technicians are always contracted out, earning basically minimum wage, have very little knowledge. Anytime you call for the first time, that's who you're going to get. Ba- ba- so basically, come, short of the line being literally physically broken, they're not going to know what the heck's yeah, going on. Yeah, they're not going to figure it out. Yeah, they're not going to figure it out. So they're going to screw you around at that point. If they can't figure it out, like something – because most – to be fair to them, I'll give it them, most of the time when people call – it's as easy as going to their house, unplugging their router, and plugging it back yes, in. Yes, 100%. Something like that. Yeah, so this these level one technicians can definitely handle that. That's why they're not getting paid the big money. But then essentially what you have to do is you have to call again, and then they'll send out a level two guy who's now maybe a contractor still, but he's getting paid more. He knows a little bit more and stuff like that. By the time you you have like a serious problem, by the time you reach that, it's going to be around a week, I think, as, as well for like your situation. And then you're going to get the person that's making like, you know, six figures and is part of the company that is, you're actually paying for come out and then he'll probably fix your situation because, you know, they're fairly good at their job. But to get to that, it, it's a whole spiel. So is that bad customer service? Yeah. That's a tough one. I would say probably, I would yeah. say it's bad because they, first of all, they told me they were open on the weekend and then they weren't. Yeah. And then they told me to call or whatever, and then or they told me to call. It was like the Sunday or uh, it was a holiday Monday or something. Again, this was years ago, but yeah. I remember calling when they told me to call and they were closed. And so it's like, well, yeah, good. Bad. And then the, then the phone system went down, which is an incident, like it, you know, it's an IT incident, whatever. But then they're like, they were fusing logs, and it's like, dude, like you're literally seeing like the log I sent was the CMD. You can see the command I'm typing in. You're not going to get a different result when the actual network's broken. And then one other thing too. Was it? It was weird in the beginning because it was weird in the beginning because they didn't they didn't set it up in the in the home when I first originally went with them. They're like, we're gonna ship it to you. You set it up yourself, and if you need help, you have to yeah, call see. and get an installer. And I was like, I mean, I, I can figure it out because I know what I'm doing. But I'm like, that's kind of I don't know about that. It's it sounds to me that they're a low cost they were. solution. And they don't have their own technicians, period. Frick, man. Like, it's unfortunate. And that, that is bad customer service. And it's not treating you like a human being. Like, it's one of those, it's one of those things that tie back into our original points where if it were true, if they were treating you and everyone like a human, they would send their, you know, a technician right away and fix your problem. That's how they would do it. If, if they were treating you like a normal human being, hold your hand, whatever. Like, that, that's, that should be their goal. Yes, that would get taken advantage of, but they would have to they would have to increase their price for that. So that that's the that's again that like willingness to pay for that that kind of level of customer service. Now, I'm not saying that we have that level of customer service across any of the telecoms in at least in Ontario or at least in our area because they don't do that. Like I said before, the bigger telecoms, they cost more money. 
they'll they'll still jerk you around with like three different levels of technicians. See, doesn't that but doesn't that cost them more money? Like that that's the one thing I don't understand. Is I, under, no. I understand the le- the level one guy is being paid peanuts, but the one thing I don't yeah. understand is like okay, I understand th- the idea of let's hypothetically say it was just a call. So there's no no yeah. such thing as installers, no such thing as a physical presence or lines. It's just like whatever the problem is, they can fix it on the phone. I know that's not real, but let's hypothetically say that. It makes sense to have a tiered system because you don't want the one person that ha- that takes, you know, 30 minutes to restart their router because they don't know what that is and they have to have it explained mm-hmm. to them over the phone. You want that to be you want that 30 minutes to go to the guy that gets paid the least. And then you yep. want the more complex issues to get up the ladder because it eventually has to get fixed, right? So you want there to yep. be that like filter system where it's like the guy who's just rebooting the router, he he gets filtered out at the level one. He doesn't go beyond that to to take up the technician's times that are more money. I understand that, and I and I, I'm fully fine with that. That makes total sense. But when it comes to these guys coming out, it's like these level three guys, like these level one guys, like what is their success rate? Is my question because it's pretty high. It is it is high. You think? Oh, yeah, it, is it is high. high. Okay, it, it's well above eighty percent. I've I've delved into this a little bit. Um, it's well it's well above eighty percent. That's it's the same exact reasoning that you're saying with the tier system on the phone, right? Right. So it's the exact same reasoning because most of the time when it is a situation that someone has to come out, it's going to be as simple as restarting a router. But they could like, they could and, treat and me like a human though. They could treat me like a human and realize that I'm doing that. And being like, okay, this guy needs to get bumped up a level or two because he, he like, he's already, he literally called, like, I literally called and said, yes. I checked the lights, I checked, I rebooted the router, I rebooted the yeah. modem, I re- re- reseated the cables. Like, it, I'm not some dude that goes so, like, hi, my Netflix doesn't load. You know what I'm trying to I say? I understand that. I know what you're trying to say. And there is, a, I think there is a way to do it hybrid, but, and the big issue is, is that those level one people that you talk to initially have much less knowledge than someone like you that's worked in as a server admin. So they don't know that you know more, if that oh, makes sense. Yeah, so they, they like I'm saying all this and they're like, okay, restart We just it. need logs. Because <laughs> yeah. all yeah. they – like the, the reason that they're asking for these logs and being so adamant about them is because they were trained to do that and that's all they know. Yeah. That's That was your issue in my opinion. That's what like – yes – a better system would be to train your tier one guys a little bit better for them to realize that this is a more serious issue and to bump you up quickly yes. to the right level right away instead of having to go through like one, two, three, four, five tiers. That's the better system because, again, it's not realistic to say that there can't be a tier system due to the fact that so many people call in with trivial problems. There's just no way around it. You have to have a tiered system. But there is a better way to handle it. I don't know how – I don't know. Like it's it's a really tough problem to solve. I again, they could they could put more money into it and solve it. In my opinion, and they should, considering how much they charge here and how big their profit margins. That's are. what I was gonna say. Is it's it's like it's not like this small company is probably not making even close to what the big boys make, and yeah. and that's the one thing. And and actually, uh, funny enough. Um, so I helped install a similar a similar company, but it was a totally different company. Uh. I helped my friend install his internet and they had the same situation where they called the company. They sent them the equipment and they said like, you need to, you need to like install it yourself or you have to call and get an installer. And so like, I like installed it for them. It was fine. But then it went down at one point and it was down in the same manner. And I, and what it ended up being was actually the line line to the house had gone. So it wasn't more advanced in the node or something like I'm assuming mine was, um, cause I don't have the full details on that. I don't have the logs on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like 
in his case, like I told, I told him like when he, when he, uh, called me, he's like, what do I do? I'm like, probably be on the phone for a week and you got to call every day. And, and, and the thing is, is like for me, I rely on it and I'm on, I'm on the internet like all the time, obviously work from home. So it, I can deal with those phone calls. This guy works in construction. Can't like, he's not home all the time. Like he's home late, gets up early. So it's like, he's screwed. Like how do these people get through it? And like, he got through it. He got lucky. Some guy came in, you know, did the line test. Like, Oh, this is bad attenuation. Fixed it. Hooray for our lives. But if it was more complex, like a more complex issue than what we had, like, What's going to happen? Like, like it'd be, he might be a month. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if it'd be a month. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, you can't, you can't be having this. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange problem. Like, again, like, I, I just, like, like I don't know would, the you, would your to water it. be turned off for a month? Like, this is the question. Like, I understand that, well, I don't know actually the legal stuff, whether or not the internet's a utility, but like, in my opinion, it is a utility. Whether or not it has the legal classification of a utility is something I'm not aware of for Canada specifically. It's I don't think it is a utility in Canada yet. Not not on the same level as water. Otherwise we wouldn't have we would have more government subsidized companies, which we don't. Because water, hydro, all that's government subsidized. Right. Oh, I guess like I guess I guess one example, and I've been told this, but I don't actually know this. So please do your fact checking. But I've been told that Sasktel is yeah, is because because there's no one there's like not that much population, so they have to subsidize it. Otherwise, your internet bill would be like I don't know three hundred a month or something ridiculous yeah. for like basic speeds. Yep. Interesting. Well, mm-hmm. anyway, that's my bad customer service experience. Person was totally courteous on the phone and everything. No, 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 no one ever screamed at me. But like, holy crap, was that a bad process? I don't know whether you want to take it away with your thing, Mike. I I think I think I'm gonna leave it at that to be honest because we've already gone pretty hard in here and I've already kind of given my Amazon and uh, <laughs> random Chinese retailer experience. Oh, that's so right. Those, those kind of <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's they they play into this into this question quite well. And and I've talked about the telecoms enough. I was gonna give another telecom bad service experience, but I think everyone's heard enough. They're all bad. Period. The thing is, the thing is to me is that is that. With the telecoms, I only call them when I'm pissed off, and I only think about them when I'm pissed off. And so, one of the really unfortunate things about them, in or being in the position that they are, is, you know, so you can you can have the argument of like they have huge profit margins and that type of thing, and that that's valid, that's fine. But just in terms of like a human to human interaction, you calling the customer service, you know, that type of thing, it sucks because you're only calling them when you're pissed off. Like I never say like, man, the internet's going real fast today. I'm going to call him up and say like, yo, good job guys. Like I would never do that. Um, and the same, the same thing goes for a lot of things. Like I, well, actually that what's weird is, is like, I don't get like pissed off at like a car mechanic. I always bring it back to that because like, I don't know why it's so different. I don't know why, I a, why a physical repair is, is always so different. I don't understand it. I think some people do get pissed off at car mechanics maybe, but I think with, with us, we get more pissed off with technical difficulties because we know more about that field, and car mechanic is just ma- magic to us. Oh yeah, like, just I don't like know a uni- unicorn jumping around in my muffler kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's, it's just like so. It, you know, you go to a car mechanic. I I don't like going there, but I don't get pissed off at them for the most part. I, mean, I don't. I don't. I don't exactly like woohoo! I gotta go to the mm. get an oil change, but like at the same time, it's like I'm not gonna be like man. 
damn that man like you know i i hate how he i hate how he changes my oil like no one does that you know what i mean yeah so exactly well i wonder if that's a good question that'd be like a question i was gonna say a question for the show but this isn't like joe rogan where we talk to everybody like no. and next week yeah. we have a mr lube employee like on the show <laughs> but like it'd be super interesting to know if you were if you were a mechanic whether or not going to the mechanic was actually infuriating and the internet wasn't because i hear a lot of re- like you know standard layman folk that use the internet for netflix and such and they get really really ticked off at phone companies internet companies like those like telecom mm-hmm. companies and so uh, that's interesting hit me up on twitter because i'm actually seriously interested uh that's not a sarcastic one because i'm actually seriously interested um or on the Discord, of course, but yeah. Well, I think that was a, I think that was a hell of an episode, actually. I like that episode. Um, to, I'm gonna pat myself on the back there and uh, whatever. But um, I mean, even if you didn't like it, hit me up on Twitter. That's a sarcastic one. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking I'm gonna run the old conclusion. Unless you have any uh, closing notes, there, Mike. Runner up. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening, and make sure you uh, don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML All the Things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. We're also on Twitter via at HTML Everything. We're on Medium, and we're on GitHub, and we're also on Patreon. Remember, that's Patreon.com/slash/HTML All the Things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And talking about tiers, many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. That includes Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. You can find him at YouTube.com/slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Works is spelled W-E-R-K-S. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. You can find him at LocalPathComputing.com. Craig, aka Cosworth, and last but not least, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. You can find him at blueblackdigital.com. Again, all these links and names will be in the show notes. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you are listening to this on. We are signing off. <laughs>